Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Logue. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Logue is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. All right, grab a Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, and in case you use one of our pew Bibles, you will find that on page 1016. And as you find your place, from the, the very beginning of this letter, we've seen that Peter has a lot to say, and that it's not always easy to divide the text into distinct units. And so it should not be surprising that as we begin to close the letter, uh, we find that there's too much in this final passage for us to try to cover all at one time. And so we're going to break it up over a couple of weeks. And on top of that, you may have noticed that we have come to an example of how verse numbers are not always helpful. You may have uh, remember that we stopped in the middle of a verse last week, and that's because Peter actually moves into a new thought in the middle of that verse, and the verse numbering, numbering kind of confuses that. Uh, but at any rate, we're going to make our way through it, and as we begin this morning, Peter is going to emphasize the importance of humility in our relationships, both with one another in the church and with the Lord. And so we are in 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to pick up in the second half of verse 5 where Peter writes, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so last week, Paul or Peter gave instructions for how church leaders are to execute their responsibilities and how church members should respond to them. And as we pick up now in the middle of verse 5, Peter addresses everyone in these churches, right? whether you're a, a pastor, elder, overseer, or whether you are a regular member. And he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. And that expression of clothing yourself or, or being clothed with something is an image that the Bible uses frequently to refer to a particular uh, quality or attribute uh, that, that characterizes us, whether that's something positive like love or power or kindness, or something perhaps negative like shame or dishonor. And the idea of the, of the imagery is that this attribute is something that is so prominent in our lives that, that it's as obvious to other people as the clothes that we're wearing. It, it, it characterizes us uh, just very obviously. And here, Peter calls us to clothe ourselves with humility. Now, we've said before that humility is a quality that results from us coming to see ourselves in, in, uh, in light of who we are uh, in, in, uh, because of our sin and God's holiness. It's, it's, it comes from having an accurate understanding of who we are in the grand scheme of things, who we, who we really are. And who we really are uh, is creatures. Right? We are created beings. Life is, is not about us. It's never been about us. We were placed here for a purpose that is higher than ourselves. And not only that, but we're creatures that have rebelled against the God who created us and who rightly deserve to receive His punishment, His judgment. And when we have that perspective, 
we become aware of the fact that we are relatively small and unimportant in the grand scheme of things. And the opposite of, of humility is pride. Pride is a quality that results from not seeing ourselves in light of our sin and God's holiness. And when we fail to see ourselves as creatures who have rebelled against the God who created us and who rightly deserve to receive his judgment, we begin to think that life is all about us and our fulfillment, our, our happiness. And so Peter calls us to be clothed with humility, but we also notice that our humility is to be directed towards one another within the membership of the church. You see, both pride and humility will inevitably express themselves in the way that we act toward other people. Right? Pride will lead us to act like we are better than other people and that we deserve to be treated like that by other people. Whereas humility, on the other hand, what will lead us to act like other people are more important than we are and that they deserve to be treated like that by us. All right? And so uh, humility is, has often been said is, is not thinking less of yourself as much as it's just simply thinking of yourself less. And I think that that's true. All right? Humility is not some exercise in, in self-loathing or self-hatred. Uh, it, it's simply being primarily focused on the well-being of other people instead of being primarily focused on our own well-being. It's, it's uh, intentionally seeking to provide others with what they need and, and uh, working to make sure that, that they are okay instead of constantly angling for our own advantage. And so if you remember when we went through Philippians, we saw that, that Paul explained humility in a very similar way. He wrote, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. All right, so we're reminded that humility expresses itself in our relationships with one another, primarily by us resisting our natural impulse to make everything about us, and our, and our natural entitlement to get what we want the way we want it, and instead intentionally seeking to provide others with what they need instead. All right? As Christians, we should be focused on each other rather than on ourselves. I want to sit a moment with this. I really liked what, what I read from Dr. Tom Schreiner uh, this week as I studied when he said that humility is the oil that keeps the engine of the church running smoothly. Humility is the oil that keeps the engine of the church running smoothly. And when the members of a church are characterized by humility, that there is a, a sweet spirit of unity and love that just, just permeates everything. And when a church gets low on humility, then relational friction starts to take place, and it, it causes wear and tear on the body. And eventually, if nothing changes, a church will break down. And of course, all of us are familiar with stories, and perhaps we've even experienced it some ourselves, of business meetings that have gone completely off the rails, and Sunday school classes that don't get along with each other, and churches that have even completely split over, over petty disagreements. And the reality is that those things don't happen because there's too much humility in the church. They happen because there's too much pride. I would even go so far in thinking along uh, this vein as to challenge you that it is good for your soul 
not to get everything you want exactly the way you want it. And just for one example, of which there are many, I had a lady approach me once, and she asked if I had ever considered us having two different worship services right, with, with different styles of music, so one that would be more traditional for people who like hymns, and another would be more contemporary for those who, who like newer music. And as nicely as I could, I told her no. I haven't considered that, and I have no intention of considering that. And there are a couple of reasons for that. For one, I have a theological conviction that a church is one gathering of people, not, not multiple. Uh, but, but secondly, and more to Peter's point here, that approach would completely undermine the very thing we're being called to here, of, of seeking the well-being of others in front of ourselves in humility. You see, essentially, this isn't what she was saying, but essentially this, this lady was confessing that she wanted something the way that she wanted it, and she wanted me to give it to her in such a way that she didn't have to bother with brothers and sisters who were different than she was. Right? And, and the, the reality is that churches that do that, uh, churches that, that try to cater to everyone's personal preferences, they may get a lot of people attending, but the, the truth is that they undermine true discipleship in that process, which is the exact opposite of what Peter is calling us to do here. Instead, we need to cultivate humility and a concern for one another above our own wants and needs. Embracing the experience of not getting everything you want exactly the way you want it all the time, it's a lot like taking medicine that tastes horrible. Uh, you may not like it, but it does great things for you on the inside. It's, it's good for you. But it's not just the benefits that humility provides that gives us motivation to pursue it. At the end of verse 5, Peter gives another reason humility is so important. That's because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And this is a reference to Solomon's words in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. And I want us to take another moment just to think about this. Human pride does not just pit us against other people. It pits us against God. God opposes pride. That's a very simple statement, but it should be a profoundly sobering reality. The omnipotent God of the universe sets himself against people who are proud. And listen, you don't have to go to seminary to know that you don't want God to be opposed to you. It doesn't matter who you are, you're not going to win that one. That is not going to end well for you. And so simply stated, pride is dangerous. The good news, on the other hand, is that we see that God gives grace to the humble. Right? When, when people recognize who they really are and, and they act accordingly, they're in position to receive God's benevolent favor. And we may think about the Lord's words in Isaiah chapter 66, when he says, But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And in context there, Isaiah is, is making it clear that there is nothing a human being can do to impress God or, or to earn God's favor in any way. But there is a kind of person who gets his attention. And he explains that that is someone who is, is humble, someone who is contrite over their sin, and someone who treats God's word reverently. Right? That kind of person will not be opposed by God, but will receive his grace. And so if we, if we step back and just kind of look at verse 5 as a whole, we could say that we're all going to be humbled, 
The, the question is whether we're going to humble ourselves now or whether God will humble us in the end. Now, Peter's going to move on to give more specific instructions about humility as he addresses our relationship with the Lord, beginning in verse 6. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And so as we pick up again in verse 6, Peter turns to address the place of humility in our relationship with God. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Right? If God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, then the only sane response is for us to fight against pride in our hearts and pursue humility. That's, that's the only sane thing that you could possibly do if you believe that that's true. And, and uh, this time, Peter directs our humility under the mighty hand of God. And so God's mighty hand is, is a reference that you find particularly in the Old Testament to refer to God's ability and willingness to intervene and provide for his people, whether that's uh, bringing them out of slavery in Egypt or supervising the, the rebuilding of the temple, sustaining them under Nehemiah, or the promise of future salvation through the Messiah. It speaks to his ability to save and provide. And I think it's important for us to remember God's mighty hand, because it's, it's difficult enough to maintain humility under normal circumstances. Right? But when we're under stress, or when we're having a hard time in life, much like Peter's original readers would have been under the, the experience of persecution, humility is all the more difficult. Right? Suffering, one of the, the things that it does is it naturally turns us in on ourselves. Right? It, it, we become preoccupied with what's happening with us and how hard our life is, and that keeps us from being able to appreciate and respond to the, the legitimate needs that other people have. In other words, suffering tempts us to become prideful. We don't miss the promise at the end of verse 6 that the humble will be exalted by God. He will lift us up in honor. And Peter says this will happen at the proper time. It may not be our time. It may happen in this life or it may not happen in this life, but certainly in the life to come, the Lord will exalt those who are humble and he will reward them for their faithfulness. And so in other words, Peter's point here is that we don't have to seek glory and comfort for ourselves in this life. We can focus our attention on others because we know that God is going to take care of us in the end. This promise frees us to pursue humility because we know that God has us taken care of. And then in verse 7, Peter explains how we express humility in our relationship with God when he says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now the word casting pictures uh, us taking something that's too heavy for us to carry and, and throwing it on top, either of, of a, a mule or a donkey, something else that is strong enough to carry it for us. And of course, anxieties and worries and concerns are not objects that we can transfer physically, right? They're, they're spiritual and emotional, mental, and they have to be moved spiritually by prayer. And so Peter is calling us here to cast our anxiety on the Lord through prayer and to trust Him to take care of the things that we need. And he reassures us at the end of verse 7 that we can do this because he cares for us. 
God loves us, and he is committed to providing us with what we need in life. So God has a mighty hand, and he cares for us. I think that is so important for us to keep in mind because we need both of those things to be true if we're going to entrust ourselves to God. Right? Like, like my mom cares about me, but, but she's often not in a position to do anything about the things that are, are going on in my life. Or on the other hand, many of the, the ancient gods and goddesses that were worshipped were, were seen to be powerful, but they didn't really care about people. They, they were not necessarily led to, to intervene and, and help them. Right, but, but Peter says here, he assures us that the one true God not only cares about his people, but that he has a mighty hand that is able to intervene and provide for us according to his will for our lives. And Peter's original readers may have been experiencing uh, the, the, the physical harm of, of suffering persecution or the emotional rejection of those who used to be their closest communities. Uh, On top of that, they're experiencing all the normal difficulties and hardships of life, sickness, illness, relational conflict, financial problems. And and on top of that, I'm I'm convinced that one of the hardest things to experience in life is simply the the fear of the unknown, the the idea that something else might happen, but not knowing if it will happen or when it might happen or how it might happen or who might cause it to happen, and and if you're not careful, your mind can just begin to spiral completely out of control. But in all these things, Peter directs his readers and us to cast our anxieties on the Lord. If we really believe that he is in control, as we see over and over in the scriptures that he is, then we can have confidence that if something is going to happen, then we can know it only happens by his design, and he will provide us with what we need to endure it. The scriptures remind us that we have the confidence that God will protect us from anything that is not his will, and he will provide for us in anything that is his will. That hope is is reflected in the the verse that we sang earlier, fear not, I'm with you. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am your God and will still give you aid. I'll strengthen you, help you, and cause you to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. And the point is not that God will always give us what we want in life, but that we can entrust ourselves to him, again, in such a way that frees us from anxiety and a preoccupation with ourselves so that we can turn and focus our attention on others. We don't have to be focused on taking care of ourselves because we know that God is going to take care of us. So to take this from from a slightly different angle, we could say that the reality of prayerlessness in our lives is a symptom of pride. When we are prayerless, we communicate that we think we can handle life on our own. Now, of course, we would never say that out loud because we know that isn't right, but that's that's the reality of our hearts. When we are are prayerless, if, if we express our dependency on God and ask for his provision and help through prayer, then when we don't do that, it means that we're expecting to solve our problems on our own, by by our own wisdom, through our own determination. And when you think about it, it could be that there's perhaps no greater expression of pride than for broken, finite creatures to, to not call out to the God with a mighty hand who is ready to help them. Right? That is, that is perhaps the worst expression of pride possible, the posture of humility Again, to quote what we sang earlier, is, Lord, I need you. 
oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. And that leads me to, to call out to you in prayer. For those who will hear his word, we have an opportunity to turn to the Lord in humility. And so in our passage this morning, Peter emphasizes the importance of, of humility in our relationships with one another and our relationship with the Lord. And the bottom line is that our lives should be characterized by a concern for one another and a trust in God's providential care over our lives. And of course, the, the example par excellence of this is Jesus himself. And as I was thinking about it this week, it occurred to me that, that the humblest man in all of human history was the one person who didn't have to be humble, right? Like, like out of everybody, Jesus could have rightly come to earth and made everything about himself. He's God in the flesh. And yet, Jesus chose to live a life of service to others, concern for others that culminated in him giving himself up for us in his sacrificial death on the cross. Jesus took punishment he didn't deserve so that we could have blessings that we do not deserve. There's no greater act of concern for others or trust in God than that. And church, here's the deal. If Jesus can do that for us, then we have no excuse for not doing that to one another. And so as we seek to follow the Lord in discipleship, we need to fight against pride and pursue humility. Of course, all of this starts by us coming to the Lord humbly to begin with. Right? The, the, the truth is that we have to realize that, that we are not better than anyone else. In fact, the Bible would say that we're not even good in light of God's holiness. We have to come to terms with the fact that we are sinners who need to be saved from God's righteous judgment and that our salvation is not something that we can pay for on our own. It's not something that we are able to earn. We must receive it as a free undeserved gift from God by trusting in what Jesus has done to save us. Of course, that naturally cuts against human pride. At least as modern Americans, we don't like taking things from people that we haven't earned or that we, we can't pay back. And yet this is the only way. The scriptures are clear. There is no other way to be saved. We either humble ourselves in repentance and faith in Christ, or we will be humbled in judgment. And so as you think about your own heart this morning, let me ask you a few diagnostic questions. There are so many potential expressions of pride that can eke out in our relationships with one another, but we'll just start by, by touching on some of the most common. So first of all, have you turned to Christ humbly in repentance of your sin and in faith in what he has done for you in, in his, his life, death, and resurrection? Have you turned to Christ and humbly received his grace, or are you bound and determined to try to get to heaven on your own? Beyond that, for those of us who have trusted in Christ, how's your prayer life? Did you regularly bring your needs and your anxieties and, and cast them onto the Lord? Or are you consistently prayerless? When it comes to the life of the church, are you more interested in getting what you want the way that you want it? Or does your attention frequently turn to making sure that the other members of the church are getting what they need? Are you teachable? 
Are are you open to being instructed or corrected even if a a fellow member or brother or sister sees something that you don't see? Or do you always have to be right? Are, Are you somebody who can't be told anything? Are you eager for reconciliation when there has been conflict? Or do you find it difficult to forgive others? even other under uh, relatively minor offenses? Do you allow other members to know what's really going on in your life so they can come alongside and help you and pray for you? Do you keep them at arm's length, relationships at surface level? Are there members of our church that you're hesitant to associate with? Because while they may be a brother or sister in Christ, they're, they're just not your kind of people. Are there areas of service in the church that are beneath you? Someone else can do that. That's not, that's not for me. Are you willing to ask for help when you need it? Or do you prefer to project a, a, an image of self-sufficiency? Any number of ways that pride can reveal itself in our hearts. But church, let's be careful that we do not allow that to happen undetected and unrepented of. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so this morning, may we clothe ourselves with humility toward one another as we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Let's pray together.